BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Frederick Brenning grew up in Atlantic City, New Jersey, and became hooked on video games at the age of six. He taught himself coding and went down the rabbit hole of the internet discovering anonymous online messaging boards before he launched his own called 8chan. On this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast, Frederick Brennan reflects on his life growing up with brittle bone disease, explains what the different online messaging boards are, and what QAnon is. Hey Frederick, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Good, good. Is that your dog there? Yes. What's your dog's name? Her name is Hitomi. Uh, H-I-T-O-M-I. She is um, five years old. Five years old now. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And and where and where did you get her? I got her in the Philippines, where I used to live uh, when I was living in Quezon City. I guess she came from a dog breeder there. They told me that. I guess. She was kind of an accidental combination of two breeds, so yeah. And what was the Philippines like? I used to have a friend who was a uh, flight attendant from the Philippines who would always tell me that the Philippines had the best uh, Christmas celebration anywhere in the world. She had flown lots of places over Christmas holidays, and she said that that was the best and, and most interesting. What was Quezon City like, and what, what, how was your experience in the Philippines? That's true. They start Christmas very early. They call it the Burr months. So they're starting all the way back in September, you know, with Christmas. The Christmas stuff comes out all the way back in September. And then they're just building up to it and building up to it and building up to it until Christmas. So it's definitely a very vibrant city. It's very different than the United States. There's a lot of people have seen like uh, images of the traffic in India. Uh, There's always all kinds of different cars and uh, tricycles running around. So. It's kind of like that, uh, that same kind of hey, degree of traffic. You know, there's that same kind of, um, same kind of, yeah, kind of feel to things. Uh, but it's it's very warm also. Um, 
I enjoyed my time there for sure. Yeah. Did Did you consider staying there longer? Or would or or had you always planned on staying there just for a minute? Well, I had already lived there for six years up until the cyber libel case that eventually precipitated me leaving. So I had intended to stay there the rest of my life, I suppose. I hadn't really seen any reason to leave. I was already, you know, married while I was there. Unfortunately, our marriage ended for a lot of reasons, but leaving was, you know, a big one. Um, Yeah, so that kind of threw my life into chaos, but... Yeah, I can I can imagine. Frederick, take take me back. Where where did you where did you grow up? Did you grow up on the East Coast or West Coast? East Coast. I grew up in upstate New York. Uh and then I moved when I was fourteen into the foster care system. And then after that I moved, you know, to back with my mom in Atlantic City. And that's where, that's where I really consider where I grew up, kind of Atlantic City, New Jersey, because that's where I spent most of my teenage years. And it's the city I'm most familiar with. It's where I live now. Um, and then, yeah, but there, after exiting the foster care system and being with my mom in New Jersey, um, of course, I would go to New York City and I would work with. Uh, a guy named Aaron for a while. And then, of course, I would, you know, create 8chan, begin administering that, move to the Philippines. So my life has been a lot of different moves all over the world. So, Do, do you mind if I ask about the foster care system? How do, what, what led you to the foster care system? Well, it's really simple. You know, it, my father, uh, he, he just decided one day that he didn't want to take care of his children anymore. I mean, that was the, that was his decision. He, I suppose, decided that the money he would receive from the state for uh, welfare, social security, whatever, was not sufficient. And the thing that really precipitated it was uh, I had a nurse that was taking care of me and he became romantically involved with this nurse. And then they decided, the state decided that this nurse wasn't going to work there anymore because she'd been abusive not only towards me, but towards my brother. So that nurse was going to be removed from the home. And so he was romantically involved with her. He just decided that he would rather put his kids in the foster care system than lose this, you know, mistress, essentially. And, and and were your parents together at that time? Or No, no. Uh, my parents divorced when I was five. So he was a single father with this nurse. And then, yeah. And, and, and um, Frederick, the name of, of, um, of the health issue you have is called brittle bone. Is that right? Uh-huh. Osteogenesis imperfecta, brittle bone disease. It's a congenital bone condition, which causes, uh, scientists say that it's like a collagen deformity that causes bones not to form correctly. It has other effects, but that's the, the one that's most uh, noticeable. 
And so does it mean that, that the bones are more susceptible to break? Is that, is that what it means? You, br- you break yeah, easily? Um, yes, that's what it means. Uh, I've broken mm, over 100 bones in my life, something like that, uh, throughout my entire life. The same one multiple times in certain cases. Uh, yeah. And do, and, and do you know when you break them? I mean, in other words, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, you have a very good sense, obviously having this condition for so long, you know, the difference between what a broken bone feels like and what a, uh, sprain or other kind of injury would feel like. Yeah, for sure. And, and forgive me only because I don't know, Frederick, uh, are, will this happen because you lift something or will this just happen? Um, it's not, there's almost always something that precipitates a broken bone. However, the condition itself is pretty variable. There are people who even can walk and have this condition because I suppose in the beginning, before DNA was known about, they just considered this to be one condition. And then later, when they had DNA testing, they were able to discover that actually it's a whole family of related conditions that are caused by different mutations. So given that that's the case, uh, yeah, um, I have one of the more severe forms, but there are even more severe forms than mine. So it's, it's kind of a spectrum disorder like autism in that way. Right. Right. Who is, and you said congenital, um, uh, do either of your parents suffer from it or siblings or Mm -hmm. others? My mother does. Yeah. Most mutations of a lie occur in something occur in a fashion known as being de novo. So nobody else in the family had it. It's just one mutation. Uh, in my case, it was congenital meaning that it was passed down from my mother. Yes. And, and so would I always know that someone suffers from this? Like, is it easily visible if I were to meet your mom? Would I know that, that she would wrestling with this? You would know that she has it because we have the same type. However, a type one, as they call it, type one OI, you would not know because uh, they could look just like you, right? Because the only difference is that their bones are weaker. And it's usually discovered in kids that have type one. Uh, let's say they're playing outside and they fall and they break a bone. Sometimes it'll be discovered by child protective services. You know, they'll see that this kid has a, a lot of broken bones and they'll start looking into the parents. Are these parents abusive? And then, you know, a DNA test will come back and actually it's not the parents fault. The kid is just really, uh, has brittle bones. Yeah. And Frederick, are there any famous people, um, besides yourself who, uh, who, who have this? Um, that's a great question. Uh, I wouldn't consider myself particularly famous. I think that there are some actors that have it. There was one actor, I don't remember his name, he recently passed. Uh, there was a motivational speaker, Sean Stephenson. He passed recently, too. Uh, there was an activist. I, yeah, uh, I think her name was Stella something, but I, I, I wasn't prepped on that. So, um, Frederick, this, I know this is a, a big question that I'm asking you, and so I realize you may give a shorter, crisper answer, but, but how has having brittle bone shaped your life? Like, like, take us along your journey a little bit. And, and again, I'm not asking you necessarily for an 
our thesis, but just to give me a little bit of color, like, like how has it shaped your life? How has it guided the life you've lived or not lived? Well, I would say that it probably shaped the beginning part of my life the most. And the reason I would say that is because if tomorrow I were to wake up, you know, miraculously, it's a miracle. Oh, he's walking, he's talking, you know, that kind of thing. Um, Probably my life would not change very much because I already have, you know, a career, something that I'm good at. I, I probably would, you know, keep sitting in front of the computer 12 hours a day. So I don't know that it would change my life too much if it went away now. Uh, but most definitely in the early portion of my life where I was figuring out what I was going to do, you know, it perhaps limited um, choices. You know, I went into computer programming being that that's something that I can do, you know, because it's something that doesn't require a lot of physical exertion. Uh, when I was very, very, very little, I wanted to be a doctor. That, you know, uh, apparently there are some doctors with my condition, but I don't know. I just had guidance counselors and parents, especially my father, who, uh, you know, told me not to do that. So I, yeah. It's interesting, though, hearing you speak, Frederick, you have a clarity and a depth of knowledge I can tell about you that suggests you could be a doctor. I have another good friend like you, and I always tell her that she's a doctor without an MD um, <laughs> because she, she thinks about health so clearly and can explain it well to lay people like myself. And I can tell it feels like you've got something similar uh, within you where you've got a level of, of well, insight. and. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I appreciate that for sure. Um, um, Frederick, if you don't mind me asking, what did your dad do or what does he do? And what did your mom do career-wise? Sure. Um, my father, he basically was a mechanic of sorts. He didn't really repair cars so much. He repaired old tractors and kind of farm equipment. We lived in upstate New York, rural New York. So that was his. I suppose, calling in life to repair old tractors. However, I mean, I have to still say that he, you know, put me in the foster care system due to this whole thing. And in many ways, he was pretty much happy to kind of just, you know, live off the welfare that the Social Security checks generated and uh, more build toys than do actual you know, work. I mean, he, he built like, and he's obviously very talented. You know, he built like a, a, a dump shovel thing. I don't really know the, the correct term for it, but it's like, you know, it, it scoops up earth and picks it up and puts it down somewhere else. And he would like bring that thing to um, the antique engine show that they had in upstate New York and he would kind of show it off. So uh, yeah, I tinkerer, mechanic, that kind of, that was his career, yeah. And then my mother, um, well, when I was very, very, very little, she was working at Walmart. And then when I got older, she uh, was an mechanic, or sorry, was an operator at Caesars Atlantic City. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the casino hotel. It's um, you probably have gotten to see the world from some different vantage points. Then. That's probably true. I mean, my dad is, even up until now, has not left 
the counties, the like three counties that, you know, are nearest his county. So, yeah, yeah. Did you, were, if I had met you in high school, were you an optimistic kid? Were you pessimistic? Where, where, where was your, where was your mind? Where was your heart? Where was your soul? Well, I mean, if you had met me in high school, I don't know that, you know, I would have, I was very, pretty much depressive in high school. I, due to being in the foster care system, due to everything that had happened, I really didn't necessarily talk to people. You know, I tried to stay out of the way, keep quiet, just try to get through this system. Um, Maybe during my, let's say, senior year in 11th grade when I was back in Atlantic City, uh, you could have said, you know, maybe I was more optimistic. I, um, yeah, but... I don't know that you would have liked me very much in high school. <laughs> you know, you never know. You never know. How were, how did, never know, yeah. How did the other kids treat you, um, other kids in high school? Because I assume that they didn't probably know as many kids um, who were wrestling with brittle bone. So how did they, how did they treat you? Uh, you know, obviously I'd been to so many schools that it was different in each one. So in my very earliest school years, like elementary school, I would say that the other kids were actually pretty nice to me. You know, at that very, very young age, kids don't yet have kind of that inclination to pick on the one that's different. You know, kids are more open and accepting at that very young age. Um, I would say, you know, during middle school, high school years, you know, when uh, kids start to mature and, uh, you know, all of that, uh, I was pretty much, you know, I wasn't necessarily bullied a lot, but I was not somebody that everyone wanted to be friends with. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey guys, it's Steve Covino from Covino and Rich here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with the new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. When you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer. Check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Frederick, if you don't mind me asking, how do you, what is dating, what, is, what was dating like for you then, and, and, and how does that live in, 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 this, in this more modern world we're in? You know, that's funny, because it might help to kind of catapult us into the main thrust of the story, right? Because I, from the age of 12, started going on 4chan. And so I was very, very familiar with how that site operated and with how, you know, the users there spoke. And essentially being involved in that website, I took on this idea, you know, this, it's known now as the incel culture, the incel idea, the, that stands for involuntary celibate. And essentially these, users of that site, many of whom are not severely disabled, right? They are, if you were to see them, you would say that they are by all respects normal. But their belief is that due to their inherent qualities, some of them would say it's due to their mental illness. Some would say that they're just ugly. Some would say that they have some other problem, but that they will never be able to achieve anything in their dating life. And when those users came to know who I was, you know, I essentially became somebody that they saw as able to take over, you know, that portion of the community. So I didn't start Wizard Jam, but that was the first image board that I administered. And part of the reason that I was able to do so is because the other users believed, oh, there's no way that he will ever have any success in dating. And I believe that myself. So it seemed like I was a perfect fit to take over this site. Uh, you know, that lasted nine months. Uh, and then I ended up actually dating and having to leave. And then that's after I left Wizard Chan is when I founded A-Chan, the one that I'm actually uh, much more known for. Yeah, so. And, 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 and sorry, for people who don't know what 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 is was Wizard Chan and how does that tie to dating? Uh, Wizard Chan was a site for male virgins. It was founded by a guy that nobody knows his name. He just went by Mister Pacific, and the whole purpose of that website was essentially to be for people that are depressed because they believe that they will never have any success in dating. And according to the like rules, I guess, or according to the mythos of the website, when a man goes for 40 years without having a relationship, he becomes a wizard. So after you're over the age of 40, and if you've never had sex or a relationship, according to them, you become a wizard. Uh, that's, I believe that it, it, it's a meme that originates like 
from Japanese internet culture. I'm not exactly sure where that came from, but it was definitely something that they believed. And I don't, you know, I wasn't the one that named Wizard Chan or came up with the idea. I just kind of took it over because the original guy that was running it had the same thing happen to him. And the funny thing about Wizard Chan is that this happens like three more times. I give it up after nine months. The next person takes it. They have a relationship. They can't have it anymore. And it just continues to go that way. <laughs> Wait, so so how did your relationship come about? Did did someone did, did someone discover you on Wizard Chan? And so you started... Essentially, yeah. They discovered, yes. There was a woman that discovered me through Wizard Chan and was like, I guess she just had an interest in people like me. You know, I don't know. It wasn't the best relationship. It ended in like, six months but you know it, it it took me out of that i wasn't able to do that anymore so i had to find something else <laughs> so so what is 8chan and again for people who have no idea what 4chan is they don't know what they didn't know what a wizard was including me <laughs> um, 8chan <laughs> uh, what, well that's it, a pretty what, obscure internet meme so i would forgive you for not knowing okay um, okay so you can essentially think of 4chan as a site like Facebook, except all of the posters are anonymous. However, it's similar in that there are groups about certain topics, and you can upload images and messages. And you can reply to other people's threads, and you know there are different groups. So it's essentially just like Facebook, but without names. And 8chan was kind of, an evolution of that concept where on 4chan, unlike Facebook, there are only a set number of groups that will ever exist. You have like a politics board, they're called boards, not groups. You have a politics board, a video game board, um, and there are like 32 of those boards and there will never be any more. And 8chan was more like Facebook, more like Reddit in that anyone who wanted to could create and administrate a board. So it opened up 4chan, which was based on an earlier Japanese website called 2channel. And so it added the idea of board creation to that for the first time. Um, obviously, as we all know, that didn't go very well, probably primarily due to the anonymity. And, 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 were these boards, uh, 4chan and 8chan, primarily male? It's obviously, it's very difficult to say because everyone's anonymous. However, I would agree with you through my meeting users, seeing who would go to these boards, you know, me being in the unique position of being the administrator, I was able to say things about the users that others would not be able to say because they would actually email me. I would have communication with them that others wouldn't. So I would say that while there were female users, they were absolutely the minority. I would put it even 90 versus uh, 90% to 10%. I would say that it is almost an exclusively male domain. And, and so, and again, forgive me, because you know this world much better than I do. Are, are these typically uh, lonely people? Are these typically, are, are, are people on these sites dangerous What's the right way for people who, who aren't a part of the world, what's the right way to understand who is on the site and what is going on there? In other words, 
people hear things like the Silk Road. Uh, they hear things like the dark web. Um, uh, is, that, is that part of one and the same? Are they connected in any way? I would say that 4chan and the dark web are not connected. Uh, the dark web is a collection of websites that the administrators of those websites are unknown and unknowable due to the way that that operates. Now, it's possible to unmask the administrators if you are a government and you have, and you put rather an enormous amount of resources into doing so. You can eventually, in certain cases, find out, like for the example of the Silk Road, they were able to discover the man that was operating that and put him in jail. However, 4chan is different in that it's public, you don't need special software to access it, and you don't need even technical expertise. So 4chan is more open and also inside of the law, right? The, the big difference between the Darknet and 4chan, 8chan, those kind of sites on the darknet, because the administrators are unknown and unknowable, oftentimes they're also breaking the law. Like, for example, selling drugs, uh, other kinds of, you know, illegal activity. Meanwhile, 4chan, 8chan, they have to at least make an attempt to moderate and stay within the bounds of the law. Uh, 4chan does a much better job of that. You know, part of the reason that I think that the current version of HN should be shut down because it's administrators do not operate in good faith. They pretend to essentially have rules when they have none. You know, they pretend to follow the law when really they're very happy to look the other way. So, uh, yeah. Um, as far as who the users are, uh, which you also asked, um, uh, you know, I would probably agree with you that most of them are lonely people. When you think about the average 4chan user, it's somebody who is oftentimes spending hours and hours and hours a day on the site. So there's somebody that doesn't necessarily have a lot of outside contacts or like a real life, as you could say. Like they don't really have a life. Their life is 4chan. And that's not true for all users, but it's definitely true for the majority. And what that means is they tend to be people that either only work part-time, don't have jobs at all, um, don't have jobs at all, rather. Uh, they tend to be younger people, although recently, in the case of QAnon, a lot more retirees are getting involved. So, Are these people, in your mind, dangerous? I mean, I know there's never one-size-fits-all, but, but is the reality that disproportionate numbers of the folks on here are dangerous and are getting involved in dangerous things? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that would be fair to say. You can't really, like, you can't say every 4chan user is dangerous. That's not a correct statement. But you can say that compared to other websites, the users of not so much 4chan, but especially 8chan, as it's been found, are much more likely to be a danger to society, to the world, because they 
they can't find ways to engage without being anonymous. So that kind of already is setting them up to be people with more dangerous ideas that if they were to say the same things on Facebook or Twitter, they would probably get banned, right? So it the system already is sort of self-selecting for people that are more dangerous. Frederick, what do you think these people did pre-digital era? So like before there was an internet and computers, what did these same people do? Um, that's a great question. I kind of feel like uh, when we think about especially people on the far right, if they were not involved in like, you know, a local far right group, they would kind of just keep their ideas to themselves. You know, if they, especially if they did not want to jeopardize their careers for their, you know, relationships, they would just kind of, yeah, keep it to themselves, go along, that sort of thing. While this gives them an outlet where they don't have to jeopardize any of their real world contacts, but they can still, you know, engage in right-wing conspiracy theories and all of that. Um, Obviously, there has always been a far right. There are, you know, as long as there are democracies, it seems like there's always a far right in every democracy on earth. But it seems like these sites, due to their anonymity, allow people who would not normally engage in far right activity to do so without jeopardizing their lives, essentially. Um, so, Frederick, um, what is QAnon? Everyone's hearing uh, that word these days, and obviously we've heard it in a variety of different instances, including in and around uh, the Capitol insurrection. But what is QAnon, and what, if anything, does it have to do with 8chan or 4chan? So QAnon is a movement that started on 4chan, and then very early in its history, it moves to 8chan. QAnon is essentially the belief that Donald Trump, when he was president, was going to basically bring out an event called The Storm, where all of the Democratic politicians, which they believe to be in the deep state, as well as many Republican politicians, who they believe to be Republicans in name only, were going to be rounded up, sent to Guantanamo Bay, and executed after a military tribunal. So QAnon is essentially a fascist movement. Whoa, 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 hang on a second. Sure. Say that again. So they, they were saying they think there's going to be an event. There's going to be basically a, a summary execution, a beheading of leading politicians. Right. And they believe they believe that Q, the poster on 4chan, who was claiming to be in the government, actually claiming to be in the military and planning this. They believe that Q was the head of the Q team and that the Q team was going to, on a day in an event called The Storm, round up all of these politicians, send them to Guantanamo Bay, do the executions, and then let the world know about their crimes, basically. And they believed that this was going to happen. Uh, Obviously, they were all supremely disappointed when Trump got out of office, nothing happened. 
And in many ways, their last hurrah was the Capitol insurrection. So, so they thought that Donald Trump, so, so when did they start believing this? They started believing this before Trump was elected or once he got elected, this was part of a thesis about what would happen during a Trump presidency? You see, Trump in many ways is responsible for them believing this because during his campaign, one of his main statements to his supporters as to why they should support him was that he was going to lock her up. And all of his supporters would chant during his rallies, lock her up, lock her up, her being Hillary Clinton. So that is why one of QAnon's main targets is Hillary Clinton. And they expanded this to include all Democratic politicians, all, you know, Republicans in name only, but they started with just Hillary. So Donald Trump, essentially started Q in a way. Now, QAnon, the poster, knowing that people were looking for this, thinking that Donald Trump was actually going to try to lock her up, and not just her, but many others, they were then very susceptible to believe somebody saying, hey, I'm in the government, I'm part of a secret project to lock her up like Donald Trump promised don't give up faith in Donald Trump. Even though he hasn't done it yet, it's because he can't, because the deep state will try to stop him. And I'm here to tell you to keep, you know, your faith in Donald Trump, essentially. Uh, yeah. It, it, wow. Um, wow. Wow. So... Like, what I would say is... Sorry. No, you go ahead. What I would say is that QAnon operated as a way for Donald Trump supporters to excuse all of the inaction of Donald Trump on that and to excuse everything that he was doing that seemed like it didn't match with their ideals and why they voted him because they could always fall back on the idea that QAnon is secretly in the shadows doing everything that they want. But Donald Trump publicly cannot admit that. So it allowed them to kind of lie to themselves and to say, that all of the conspiracy theories they always believed in about Hillary Clinton, et cetera, were true and that the storm would happen. They just needed to have enough patience. So what would they say if they were hearing you talk right now? What would they say when, when they inevitably watch this? What are they going to say back to you? What would they say if they were in the room with us right now? What would their what would their reply reply retort be? You know, and it's so interesting because the way that QAnon has fractured it's very hard to say what an individual believer is thinking at this point, because I mean, right after the election, the main thing that they believed was that the election was stolen and that the storm was coming very soon and that Trump was going to use the stolen election as further proof of the evil of the deep state to finally lock them all up. So when the Capitol insurrection finally happens, that is a direct reaction to the fact that they all knew that if Donald Trump does not stay in power, there is no possible way for their conspiracy theory to ever come true. There's no possible way that this, like, the Joe Biden administration is never going to lock her up. And so they, you know, for me, the Capitol insurrection was very predictable. 
they needed to stop Biden, the democratically elected president, from taking power at all costs because otherwise this entire movement that they'd built up is nonsense. So what would they say if they were in the room? I mean, some of them would just say that the deep state won this battle, but there's still the war that can still be won. So they would say, look forward to 2024, you know, and we'll try to take back the presidency and really lock her up or lock all of them up, etc. They, Some of them might say, this was all a psychological operation and that Donald Trump was actually the bad guy, right? And that the U.S. government perpetrated a psyop on them to make them believe that Donald Trump was going to do something when actually Donald Trump was always part of the deep state. So they continue to believe in the deep state, right? They've just rejected the idea that Donald Trump was ever fighting it. Um, another thread of belief could be that, for example, you know, Donald Trump tried his very best, right? But he just wasn't able to succeed. So they could say that Q was always true, but just somehow the plan failed, you know? So th- those are the three main ways that they could. Frederick, so if you, if you say, hey, January 6th, capital insurrection was predictable, you could see it from afar, what do you see coming next? Given all of this and given this world, what do you see coming next that the rest of us who aren't part of the HN world, what might we not know? Well, clearly, QAnon and the believers in it are not going anywhere. And this belief system in the deep state, in the idea that there is an expansive power in the U.S. government that is not democratic, that isn't going anywhere. And so I would say what we're going to see next is probably another attempt to bring about a fascist coup, just as January 6th was. If they want this fascist coup more than they want anything else, they want to see every democratic politician killed and just because Trump is no longer in office and there's no way that they can can continue to believe that Q is the one that's going to bring about that coup, that doesn't mean that they're going to stop hoping for the coup. And so I would say that we have a very serious problem where a very large percentage of our country is radicalized and believes that the only way that the system can be brought back in order is through a coup. And a lot of them are, you know, racist, white supremacist, all kinds of other beliefs on top of that. Well, I was actually going to ask you, connect that to race and racism, because, you know, from where I stand, it's hard for me to imagine a lot of black people are in that group. Um, No, there are not. Yeah, there are. (laughs) I would say that there, yeah. I would say that, like, just look at the footage of the Capitol insurrection, right? Many white faces. You know, uh, maybe there's one black face in the crowd. I, I would, yeah. Um, I would definitely agree with the idea that QAnon is a fundamentally racist movement. 
it's also fundamentally anti-Semitic. So, and, 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 if, and would they, if they, again, were sitting here with us right now and you said that. They would not agree. Yeah. They would not. They would not agree. Some of them may, but others would say that, well, Q himself posted that they use race to divide us and they use color to divide us. So Q is not racist. And I would say that that's not true. QAnon is clearly, clearly a racist movement. It, it clearly wants to see a kind of restoration to a mythical American past where racism was the norm. And QAnon clearly, their whole mythos is about keeping out immigrants, keeping out people that they don't see as belonging in America. And I don't know that QAnon is necessarily racist, at least mostly most racist against black families that have lived here for generations, but they are certainly racist against newcomers of all you know types except white. I mean, they would tell you that people like, it would be better if we, you know, had a system that was based on, you know, merit. And for them, merit usually means white. So. Um, uh, who is Q? Well, I believe that, it, at least right now, it's Ron Watkins. I believe that when it started on 4chan, it started in this environment where... Sorry, to be, so, sorry, to be clear, you think it is the guy that you used to work for? Correct, yeah. I believe that it is the son of the guy that I used to work for. I believe that very strongly, that it is Ron Watkins. I have a lot of reasons for believing that. Uh, there was a documentary recently that I was in, that's why I'm on your show right now, where he kind of chronicles a lot of the evidence for that. Um, and Ron Watkins even slips up at the end of the documentary and kind of admits that he was posting his cue. But I think that it's important to differentiate between the how Q started and then where Q ended up. Because I believe when Q started on 4chan that it, we still don't know who made that first post because it was anonymous. And I don't know that we'll ever be able to know. However, very, very early in its history, in the first few months, it moves to 8chan. And when it's on 8chan, Ron Watkins, as the owner of 8chan, essentially has the ability to take it over whenever he wants. In the same way that Jack Dorsey, the owner of Twitter, can take over your account or my account and start posting on it, he can do that to Q. The difference is Q has no way of proving that they're Q after they lose their account because Q never gave anybody a different way to prove that he's Q, right? The only way was ever that trip code, that's just what I'm calling an account. The only way was ever by posting on his account on 8chan. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and 
starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. What up, everyone? It's Lunchbox from the Bobby Bone Show, and I'm here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive. You can count on your new Camry to get you anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Frederick, question to you, where do you think all of this comes from? I mean, we live in a world right now where there's a pandemic and there are millions of people dying. Uh, We live in a world where there are, you know, wars going on. You know, uh, half the people in the world go to bed somewhat hungry uh, tonight and every night. You know, most people never travel more than a couple hundred miles away from where they were born. And so... Where, do you, where where in your mind does all of this come from? Um, and how how do you think about that? Just when you think about the world th- that we live in, where does all this come from? And should we be spending as much time on this? And how does a member of Congress or seven, several members of Congress seem to, you know, speak positive words about QAnon? I think that when we ask ourselves where this comes from, it's clear, and this isn't only my opinion, I've had to do my own, you know, research by experts like Mike Rothschild, who writes extensively on conspiracy theories, where they come from, why people believe them, that sort of thing. And his view is that there is this fundamental need in human beings to make the world simple, to make the world easy to understand, to have good guys and bad guys. And when you add in all of the beliefs that they already have, racist beliefs, white supremacist beliefs, it leads them to a place where they are extremely susceptible to any either prankster or bad actor who tells them, I have all the answers, and 
it's even worse than you thought. That's often the hook they use to get them in. Because people already believe all of these conspiracy theories. And then the posters like Q will tell them, you are right about everything you think, and it's worse than you thought. And I'll... So, 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 so if you're right, what should we do? Or, or what would you say if President Biden invited you in for a conversation and said, hey, talk me through this, etc." And then he got to the end of the conversation. He said, and he'd say, so what's the so what? What, if anything, should I do? What should we do? What should he do? I think we should start with the very easy stuff first before we try to go to the very hard stuff. The very the easiest thing that we could do right now would just be to strengthen laws on impersonating a federal agent to make it so that if you do that online, if you try to build a movement around pretending that you're a federal agent, that's a federal crime, that you cannot use the prestige that being a military intelligence officer carries, that being an FBI agent carries, that all of these things carry to be able to say, you know, I'm, you know, to trick people. That's really what this is, to trick people, to radicalize them, and to make it so that they are driving trucks on the Hoover Dam and demanding the release of a report that doesn't exist. The man that did that is now in jail for 10 years. To make it so that they are storming the U.S. Capitol because they're believing that an election that was not stolen was stolen. They, there certainly needs to be more consequences for people that impersonate federal agents like Ron Watkins did. And I'm not a lawyer, but I think that there is even a case to be made that even under current law, he is not exempt, that he received a thing of value through his impersonation of a federal agent, and that, you know, a prosecutor that is willing enough to kind of go down that path may be able to prove it. But even if not, if the thing of value he received was so, you know, there's too many steps between that and him and it can't be proven, well, then our laws absolutely need to be strengthened. You cannot just go online anonymously and tell everybody, hey, I'm in the FBI. And I know for a fact that Hillary, you know, Clinton eats babies. Like, that really, really needs to be, especially when it gets to this big extent, the people that are doing that need to be unmasked and need to be punished for that. So that's the first thing that I would say. Like, that's the easiest thing we could do to stop conspiracy theories like this. Uh, There are a lot of harder things that we could do. Like, another thing is, the only way that 8chan is able to stay online right now is because it uses Russian hosting. And we have all sorts of sanctions against Russia. And one thing that I've wondered is, why do we not sanction their internet service providers? Why is it even legal for an American business to decide, I want to host my website in Russia to get around, you know, ISPs in the U.S. who do not want to host domestic terror? You know, Uh, no ISP in America wants to host content that was responsible for the storming of our capital. You know, so they use servers of an enemy of the United States in order to continue this game. So I 
I would say that we should sanction Russian ISPs. No American business should. Uh, there's no reason that an American business needs a server in Russia, right? And, uh, you know, unless you're like actually the lowest level ISP running wires between Russia and Europe, right? Or something like that. But just having your average day-to-day website in Russia, uh, you know, that's something else we could do. Um, you know, I would say start with those easy things, see the effect that they have, and then, only then, do we start trying to do stuff that's harder. Because if we're not even willing to do those two easy steps, I don't know that we're ever going to be willing to, you know, try to tackle uh, the root causes of white supremacy. Like, we have these very easy, low-hanging fruits, and for some reason, people just aren't grabbing them, so... Interesting. And what would what would it mean to tackle the root causes of white supremacy, do you think? Yeah, uh, the root causes of white supremacy, conspiracy theories, all of this are primarily ignorance. Uh, they are primarily the fact that our education system is one of the worst in the world. I don't think that, at least, you know, among developed countries, I think that part of the reason is that you know, we have never even tried to deal with all of the effects that racism has had in this country. We, you know, I, yeah, I mean, the way that our history is taught, you know, we're still taught that what was done to the Native Americans was in some way fundamentally good, you know? Uh, so that we essentially, you know, uh, civilize this, you know, savage land and all of that. So uh, I feel like a lot of educational changes are what's needed to tackle root causes and laws that affect, you know, ISPs, big social media giants, that kind of thing. But, you know, I really think we should go there but I think that if we haven't made the easy changes first, we're never going to, you know, go to the hard ones. So. Um, Frederick, as we wrap up, do you mind if I do a little bit of rapid fire with you? A few rapid fire questions? I don't mind. I don't mind. I don't mind. Go ahead. Uh, tell me, what's your favorite book? Favorite book? Um, wow, that's an interesting question. I guess 1984, George Orwell. I've read that one the most. So. Um, if you had to name yourself, give you, so your name wasn't Frederick, and you had to start over and choose a name, what would you name yourself? <laughs> really? That's funny. Um, maybe Wayne. I don't know why, but Wayne sounds like a, a, a name I would choose for myself. <laughs> um, what's your favorite food? Favorite food? Uh, macaroni and cheese. Yep. Uh, what's your karaoke song? Karaoke song? <laughs> I don't sing too much karaoke uh hmm let's see if i was really really drunk maybe i would maybe sing huh yeah that's a good question i i don't know i'd have to be flipping through the book (laughs) i can't give you an answer (laughs) love it love it no problem no problem uh most interesting celebrity you've ever met oh god um you know i would say that the guy that made my documentary 
he's something of a celebrity, and I spent tons and tons of time with him, Cohen Hoback. He is a really, really interesting guy in that he is just so focused on making these movies that he goes into so much personal debt to make them. Like, he, he eventually is able to sell them to bigger productions, but, like, Hyrax Films, his own company, made that movie. And he, I, I know during production, he was going into so much credit card debt to make it, and I felt so bad for him. So, yeah. Uh, uh, favorite word that begins with the letter Q? <laughs> uh, quintessential. Lo- love that. Um, uh, if you weren't doing computer work, what else would you do? Oh, um, if I wasn't doing computer work, well, I guess that I would try to be a lawyer. Yeah. Most interesting thing you've learned about love? The most interesting thing I would say is how there just isn't enough of it in the world. And it's free. So you would think that we could give it out a little bit more freely, but we don't seem to be able to. We seem to really hold it back. So I would say that, yeah, we should all learn to, you know, be a little more free with our love. Yeah. Free love, I guess. If you could have dinner with anyone, uh, dead or alive, who would you love to have dinner with? Ooh, um, you know, this is very funny, and but this is an honest answer. I have worked for many, many years on an open source project called Font Forge, and I would want to have dinner with the guy that wrote that. He spent like 10 years writing it. George Williams, that's my answer. <laughs> I love it. It's, it's, a good, it's a good, honest answer. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, Frederick, what would surprise people to learn about you? What, what would surprise people if they were to, to learn about you? I think, I think maybe they would be most surprised that I don't really, um, you know, I don't spend as much time like on these sites anymore. You know, I don't really use 4chan anymore. I don't use 8chan anymore. I tend to mostly, you know, try to even limit general social media. Like I'm still on Twitter, but uh, what I've learned is that these sites are not any place that anybody wants to be all day, even the mainstream ones, even the major ones, you know, where you have, where you're using either your real name or some continuous identity. I, yeah. What do you say to people who say to you, are you Q? (laughs) I laugh because it's ridiculous. And, um, uh, you know, I used to get a lot more of that back in the beginning, if you've seen the documentary, where, you know, just due to the fact that I wasn't kind of out there in public and I hadn't given my views on it, you know, I was more likely to be kind of fingered as a possible uh, suspect. But, you know, if anybody thought I was Q, I would just say, you know, read my Twitter account and talk to other experts. There's no way that I'm Q. Um, and, and finally, look forward for me. Frederick, where if you and I were to get together again in 10 years and 20 years, what do you think will be true? Where do you think you'll be? What do you think will be going on? What would you like to be true? Well, I would hope, if I'm thinking of an optimistic vision of the world, that we've really started to tackle a lot of these issues that we have online. And we've prevented a world where 
cyber sovereignty wins the day and every country just decides that they're going to have their own internal internet and block off much of the rest of the world. Because unfortunately, that's what's starting to happen in many places. China, Russia, a lot of these countries are deciding that we don't want our domestic citizens to have contact with sites in other countries. And I would hope that we still have an open internet in 10 years, that we've learned how to control it a lot better, that we have learned, you know, that we have just as much focus on domestic terror as we do on international terror. I think that's a big one. And I would hope that, uh, yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, and, and, and Frederick, how are you thinking um, about where you would live and about family? Well, I mean, I've had such a turbulent few years here that it's hard to think that far ahead. But, you know, you never know. I could be in another relationship in 10 years. It's possible. Um, I feel like at this point, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. You know, I, I feel like I just kind of need a break and I don't know where I'll be in 10 years. I might still feel the same way. I might not. And are there any interesting medical advances on the horizon that you, that could offer you more options? Um, so there are some new medications, I guess, that could improve bone density. Um, there are a lot of treatments for kids who haven't been born yet and kids who are very young now. Like, for example, the, the very severe OI that I have, like how my arm is, that's pretty much gone in the world. Um, a kid born today, even to a poor family, will have enough surgeries and enough uh, pamidronate, it's called, a medicine that wasn't really a thing when I was a kid, that they're, they won't look like me hardly at all. You know, they, uh, even if they have the exact same genetic problem, they'll have much straighter bones. They might even be able to walk. So, uh, and I would think that with gene therapies and so on, it's likely that this illness could be eliminated, you know, and at least in people that are very young or who haven't been born yet. Um, Frederick, I really uh, appreciate your time. And I, uh, uh, you're such a, uh, it seems like a weird phrase, but you're such a thoughtful thinker. Um, that I hope you uh, hope you continue to think with us and think out loud uh, with people. I something tells me that you've just been blessed with uh, more perspective and insight and soul than than many people have otherwise gotten. And uh, while it may not have always been an easy road, you know. Um, Something tells me that you could be really helpful to a lot of people in terms of how to think about a better way forward. So I... Uh, thank you very much. I enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for making time for me. I appreciate you making the time. Yep, no problem. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast.
Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 